I'm Christian Blood, KTSA News. It's that time once again for the Jack Riccardi Show. Hey, good afternoon. That was uh, I, I was glad that Joe mentioned uh, Lonnie Walker because Spurs fans really remember him fondly, and mm-hmm. he was fantastic in the fourth quarter last night. So, good for him. Yeah. Are you a Spurs fan or are you a Celtics fan? Well, more of a Celtics fan. That's uh, what I thought. That's it's I easier thought. to be one these days, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I will be glad for the days when the Spurs become relevant again. I hope they will. Well, I was thinking of you last night. I was watching one of these YouTube videos about NBA legends mm. talking about how awesome Larry Bird was and how much trash mm. he could talk. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you didn't get that on TV, but... <laughs> But no, it, we had no idea. Yeah. I have to say, when I was a kid, we had no idea. Um, yeah. cause he looked like, you know, he just looked like Opie, grown up, uh, mm-hmm. six foot nine. But, but yeah, it turns out he was among the, like the, just the worst. Yeah. Uh, and, and also, um, I, I did not realize what mad respect a lot of his, uh, peers, you know, had for him because that was when the NBA was starting to get that kind of swagger. Yeah. Where you didn't, ever say anything nice about another player and certainly not on another team mm-hmm. but now that I, i've seen some of the things you're, you're describing and now that these guys are all older and mellow they're like yeah he was the best i ever saw and i was in awe of that he could do this and he had the best one of these and but you didn't hear them talk like that back in the day no i mean larry bird looked like the kind of guy who could lead a boy scout troop but mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. You, he would get in guys heads yeah. and just oh, yeah. i mean maybe the yeah. most competitive athlete that we never knew we were watching right Right. All right. Well, I don't. I don't believe you really thought of me when you were watching that. But it was nice. <laughs> I of did. You to, I it was sure nice did. of you to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. All right. Well, anyhow, um, it's a very busy news day. We'll dive right in here. You've probably heard the the breaking news this afternoon. I actually have breaking news that's even fresher than what you've been hearing. But the story you've been hearing this afternoon is that um, a federal jury decided that former President Donald Trump was not liable for rape, but was liable for sexual abuse and defamation, to use the exact words. And they awarded his accuser, a woman named E. Jean Carroll, $5 million in damages. Trump has long said, I don't remember her, I don't know her. He also, and I don't think he did himself any favors when he said this, he he said, well, she's not my type, which if you were a lawyer defending someone accused of rape or sexual assault or sexual abuse, that is like literally the last thing you would want them to say. She's not my type. And Trump is saying the verdict is a disgrace, and they'll appeal it, and we'll talk to our legal experts about that. I have no idea. You know, I I have no idea who did what. I find it very interesting that we're hearing about E. Jean Carroll today in the news. At the same time, Republicans in the House are trying to get documents to look into the allegation from the same year that E. Jean Carroll says she was assaulted by Donald Trump in a department store in Manhattan. In the same year, a Senate staffer named Tara Reid says that Senator Joe Biden forced himself on her, and she's been telling this story for years. And I don't know who's telling the truth. They could both be telling the truth because powerful men often give themselves permission to do things. I I don't know. 
here's what I do know. I mean, I could have an opinion about it. You could have an opinion about it. Maybe you do. I don't know. It seems ridiculous. It seems ridiculous to have an opinion about stuff like this. Like, what do we know? But, but here's what I do know. The people that want me to care about Donald Trump's accuser, the people that want me to hold against him his cavalier and potentially criminal ways with women are also the people that say you can't define a woman and that anyone's a woman if they simply declare that they're a woman. Reminds me of that episode of The Office where Michael is going around saying, I declare bankruptcy, because he thought declaring bankruptcy just meant yelling it. But actually, that's pretty much where we're at right now with womanhood. If you declaim that you are a woman, then you are a woman. And so I think this kind of accusation, true or false, falls differently now. And the people that want you to care about it don't have the credibility. Remember Believe All Women? Remember how fast we found out that wasn't true? It was Believe All Women who tell a story against someone who we're against. That's what the full slogan should have been, except that's too long for a hashtag. So I don't know. Tell me what you think. You know what else is, you know who else is trying to make a comeback from his, uh, issues is Andrew Cuomo. Now I, I, I wouldn't have thought this was even possible, but I was reading today that Andrew Cuomo is doing a podcast, which I won't be listening to. And according to the Wall Street Journal, he's engaged in legal maneuvers to clear his name of the many women who claim he sexually harassed them and mistreated them while he was governor. Remember, that's why he had to step down. And the reason he's doing that is because he wants to run for president. On his podcast, he's talking about how the country is fed up with the choice of Biden versus Trump. They don't want that choice. They want other choices. And and people think, well, if he's trying to clear his name and he's doing a podcast, he's probably positioning himself to run for president. I suppose it's a good time. If we've cheapened and trivialized accusations of sexual misconduct, this would be the time to make a comeback if your political career was derailed by accusations of sexual misconduct. So we got that going on, but we have another breaking story. This just hit my email. Tucker Carlson has just announced what he's going to do next. And you probably saw this coming. Some of you will have seen this coming. But it is not another network. It is not um, one of those other concert- Newsmax or OAN or whatever they are, uh, networks. Uh, Tucker Carlson's announcing that his show will be uh, produced and disseminated on Twitter. And I think we have his announcement. Here's what he said. Hey, it's Tucker Carlson. You often hear people say the news is full of lies. But most of the time, that's not exactly right. Much of what you see on television or read the New York Times is, in fact, true in the literal sense. It could pass one of the media's own fact checks. Lawyers would be willing to sign off on it. In fact, they may have. But that doesn't make it true. It's not true. At the most basic level, the news you consume is a lie, a lie of the stealthiest and most insidious kind. Facts have been withheld on purpose, along with proportion and perspective. You are being manipulated. How does that work? Let's see. If I tell you that a man has been unjustly arrested for armed robbery, that is not, strictly speaking, a lie. 
He may have been framed. At this point, there's been no trial, so no one can really say. But if I don't mention the fact that the same man has been arrested for the same crime six times before, am I really informing you? No, I'm not. I'm misleading you. And that's what the news media are doing in every story that matters, every day of the week, every week of the year. What's it like to work in a system like that? After more than 30 years in the middle of it, we could tell you stories. The best you can hope for in the news business at this point is the freedom to tell the fullest truth that you can. But there are always limits. And you know that if you bump up against those limits often enough, you will be fired for it. That's not a guess. It's guaranteed. Every person who works in English language media understands that. The rule of what you can't say defines everything. It's filthy, really, and it's utterly corrupting. You can't have a free society if people aren't allowed to say what they think is true. Speech is the fundamental prerequisite for democracy. That's why it's enshrined in the first of our constitutional amendments. Amazingly, as of tonight, there aren't many platforms left that allow free speech. The last big one remaining in the world, the only one, is Twitter, where we are now. Twitter has long served as the place where our national conversation incubates and develops. Twitter is not a partisan site. Everybody's allowed here, and we think that's a good thing. And yet, for the most part, the news that you see analyzed on Twitter comes from media organizations that are themselves thinly disguised propaganda outlets. You see it on cable news. You talk about it on Twitter. The result may feel like a debate, but actually the gatekeepers are still in charge. We think that's a bad system. We know exactly how it works, and we're sick of it. Starting soon, we'll be bringing a new version of the show we've been doing for the last six and a half years to Twitter. We bring some other things, too, which we'll tell you about. But for now, we're just grateful right, so to be here. That's the announcement that he is uh, going to start to do some kind of show. Doesn't uh, appear to be clear yet when or how often or nightly or uh, what. Uh, but everybody's been waiting for the other shoe to drop. That appears to be the other shoe. So this is interesting. Um, the Texas House is moving toward raising the age to buy a semi-automatic rifle. So two Republicans changed their votes, and what would have been uh, a losing effort became an 8-5 to five winning vote on a uh, committee uh, on a bill that uh, had been submitted by a Democrat. Raise the age, raise the age, is the rallying cry. This happens right after the Allen Mall shooting. I'm sure you're way ahead of me on this. The Allen Mall shooter was 33. Now, you may think it's a good idea to raise the age for buying a gun. And if you do, you should think so independently of any one incident. Like, if that's a good idea, that's a good idea across the board and for timeless reasons, and we have other things for which we set minimum ages. Those are arbitrary, but nonetheless, we do it. If you believe this is one of those things, fine. But if we are now just throwing concessions out after every mass shooting, then your Second Amendment rights can only survive X number of mass shootings. If Republicans are getting tired, and it's looking to me like they are, 
of standing up for gun owners, legal, law-abiding gun owners, if the, the rallying cries and the people storming into state legislatures, if that's wearing them down or frightening them, uh, then we got a problem. Because for all their faults, the Republicans are the only ones standing between you and people who think all guns are weapons of war, except the guns that are in the hands of the people they control to control you. But that's what happened in the Texas House. By the way, we told you about Colin Allred, the congressman from the Dallas area, who is going to run against Ted Cruz next year for the U.S. Senate. He's uh, the front-runner to be the Democratic nominee. He has now come out and said that America would be better off without the Second Amendment. While he has previously come out in favor of banning assault weapons, so-called, seems to have gone a little further now that he's going to run for the Senate. Quote, would it be better if it had not been written, the Second Amendment? Would it be better if it had not been written? Of course. But there's no chance that we're going to repeal any of the Bill of Rights amendments. It wouldn't happen. It's not within the bounds of reality in this country, he says. Now, that's an interesting thing to say, and I've heard other politicians say it lately. That's not a defense of the Second Amendment. That's saying we just can't get to it. See the difference? If I say to you, absolutely, hell no, you can't touch it, natural right, it's above politics, that's one thing. If I say, gee, there's just no chance that we can get at it, What I'm saying is, without saying it, is we haven't figured out a way yet. Well, maybe Colin Allred won't have to figure out a way, because maybe Republicans are getting tired. So we got a lot going on, obviously. we got the border, we got the Trump news, we got the Tucker news, we got the guns news. 210-599-5555. Congressman Matt Gates was on, um, I, I forget, I think it was Newsmax. In fact, it was. It was Newsmax, because there's a new show over there with a guy named Chris Plant, who I know from radio. He's a good guy. If you're looking for something to watch, um, if you're not watching Fox anymore, you should check this guy out, Chris Plant. Uh, I forget the name of his show, but he's on at night uh, on uh, on Newsmax. And he had on uh, Matt Gates, and he was talking about how they're trying to look into the Tara Reid accusations against Joe Biden. And since we're hearing about the Trump a uh, jury verdict today. This is what he had to say last night. Cut number five. Weeks ago, Marjorie Taylor Greene and I had the opportunity to interview Tara Reid. I found her to be one of the most credible witnesses I have ever interviewed in the practice of law or during my time in Congress. And what I can share with Newsmax exclusively tonight is that Marjorie Taylor Greene and I are sending a demand for records to the Secretary of the Senate because we believe that Tara Reid's employment records will further corroborate the claims she has made. I'm on this subcommittee that's supposed to look at the weaponization of our government, and nothing is a sicker weaponization than what her, her allegations set forth. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not saying uh, Trump's okay because Biden did it too. I don't know if either of them did it or both of them did it. I'm, please understand where I'm coming from on this because it's not going to be what you expect a talk radio host to say. You expect a talk radio host to say, I, I believe so-and-so is guilty, and I believe so-and-so is innocent. I have no idea. I wasn't there. But what I do know is that we can only care about this stuff 
if we care about it outside of the party lines. It doesn't do anybody any good. It accomplishes nothing. If you believe every accuser, when they accuse your political opponents, and disbelieve every political accuser when they accuse the, the person you voted for or the party you belong to or whatever it is. That, that, that does us no good. And, and here's the other thing that's, that's really crazy. If you go back to when we started, and, and don't take this the wrong way, but if you go back to when we started really caring about this stuff, when was it? It was like the 80s and 90s, right? It was Gary Hart, Bill Clinton... At that point, the the basis for the concern, the basis for the uh, outrage was the abuse of women. That men in power felt entitled to serve themselves at the, the, the all-you-can-eat bar, right? Whether it was the workplace, whether they were politicians, whether they were educators, administrators whoever they were powerful men helped themselves to women in their vicinity and and the the outrage and the the stomping of feet was this has to stop we need to respect women we need to honor their their rights and their dignity and their place in the workplace and their place at school and all of this the people who want to make that argument have completely blown up that argument. They've destroyed that argument. They've destroyed the concept of women. I don't know if they thought this through. Maybe they didn't realize what they were doing, or maybe they did. I don't know. But are you honestly going to take a lecture from some talking head on television about how outrageous it is that Donald Trump treats women the way he does, or or if or if you tune in a talking head who says it's outrageous that Joe Biden treats women the way he does, are you really going to take a lecture from someone who can't define a woman, who thinks that men menstruate, who thinks that we need tampons in the men's room? Who th- I mean, you know, you can't. We're not living in the world in which that carries any weight. I'm not saying this is how you feel. You as a man, I I would imagine if you're listening to this show, if you're able to tolerate me for more than five seconds, you, you probably have a woman in your life whom you respect, whom you honor, whom you defend, who you cherish. Or if you don't have one in your life, you at least believe in and cherish that the concept of womanhood and you believe there is such a thing as a woman and we can define women. But they can't. They say they can't. So they get, they don't get to make this, this, uh, they don't get to make the deal out of this that I know, I understand, they want to make. 210-599-5555. We're going to talk about what's going on in the border too, because, uh, Dan Stein from, uh, FAIR is going to join us. And you're going to hear in the next, you know, 48 hours, some pretty dramatic predictions about what's going to happen on the border. But I'm going to ask you a little bit of a different question when we continue. I'm going to kind of take this, I'm going to kind of roll the tape forward a little bit, okay? So I I think we know what's happening on the border. I think we know how bad it's going to be in border communities, and, and in fact, even in cities like San Antonio.
And by the way, the city of San Antonio supposedly has a plan. I guess we're about to find out. Joining us on the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line is Executive Director of the Federation for American Immigration Reform, or FAIR, Dan Stein. Uh, his organization is is literally on the border. It's not just on their mind uh, as we get ready for the Title 42 deadline on Thursday. Dan Stein, for all the, the media talk about this, um, what what are people actually expecting will change or will happen uh, on the border when Title 42 expires? And the reason I ask what seems like an obvious question is the, the numbers are already pretty gaudy. And uh, obviously, we're, we're, we're breaking records month after month. So how much worse does it get? Does that happen right away? I mean, what, what are your expectations? Well, I mean, there are about 200 million people around the world who, if they could, would move here tomorrow. And the signals this administration sends, which tend to be very, uh, very confusing and change all the time, uh, are leaving people with the impression that when Title 42 expires, they're just going to be paroling or releasing everybody into the country. And, you know, they made an announcement the other day that that's exactly what they're planning to do. Title 42 gave them some authority, summary authority, some summary authority, to deny entry to certain, you know, non certain nationalities. But they made up for it by providing these illegal parole programs that were released them into the country. But for people from all over the world now, the elimination of Title 42 means it's open season, and the administration itself, which is run by a bunch of ideologues, because, you know, Biden's sleepwalking through this process, is, uh, you know, they're determined not to, basically saying nobody ever has to go home. And they say they have a plan, but the plan seems to be uh, emasculating the Border Patrol and just now flooding the streets of El Paso and Texas or any place else and just letting them run loose. And there's about there's about seven hundred thousand of them now waiting across the border. I mean, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around those numbers, especially when you look at the streets of a city like El Paso right now. It doesn't look like there's any room on the sidewalks, much less in any of the buildings. Yeah, I mean, for years El Paso was kind of immune. It seemed like when people came in from Juarez, they kind of bypassed El Paso. They were heading to places like Los Angeles, New York City, you know, the big cities. But Biden apparently decided he would ignore 50 years of experience in Washington, ignore all the lessons of the Carter administration and the Clinton administration, and just set off this kind of tidal wave by sabotaging the Border Patrol, emasculating all the proven enforcement techniques like remain in Mexico, mandatory detention, which is what the law requires. He's just ignoring the law here. I mean, this is what's really crazy is... The Mayorkas, the Homeland Security Secretary, believes they have an unlimited power to parole people, which gives them benefit eligibility for everything under the sun, and by doing so, creating basically their own immigration program. You know, Congress under the Constitution sets the terms and limits by which immigrants come, how many visas there are, which countries get them, what, what qualifications you have to have. Biden's blowing past all that, claiming an unlimited executive power to just let people come into the country, and naturally... Cartels, operatives, you know, savvy people around the world, they've all got smartphones and designer jeans, and they're showing up at the border paying cartels in many cases. I mean, the cartels are calling the shots. They've corrupted the Mexican government. The Chinese government's working to move fentanyl through, and they're working with the cartels. And we're, we're losing complete operational control of the border, and this sanctimonious humbug, Mayorkas, is standing there going, the border's secure. It's mm-hmm. ridiculous. 
When you uh, mentioned ideologues, and I, I think we can all clearly see that, that Biden is not the one making these decisions, and, and any, any familiarity with Joe Biden's political career would, would also tell you that, because he was never a radical on any of this stuff before. Um, so w- what is the end game of staging chaos that even, according to political surveys, is not popular with the Democratic base. What are they doing, and why are they doing it? It seems to be rooted in some kind of ideology that's destabilizing the status quo will and increase the number of poor people in the country will will create a dependency on the Democrats' transfer programs, their transfer payments, like welfare and other things. You know, they they fundamentally believe that the key to power is to destroy the middle class and create a population that's so dependent on as many entitlement programs as possible that they can retain like a one-party state. They want to replicate the California model. I mean, so what if you turn the country into San Francisco? Um, It's it's about getting reelected, and anybody who lives in a a deep blue area can see the machine-style politics that goes along with the fact that once you get people... For example, Obama stood up in the State of the Union and said, Obamacare will not apply to people here illegally. Remember? And that uh, Joe, whatever his name was, uh, he said, no, you lie. Remember that? Well, mm-hmm. Biden just turned around and said, hey, guess what? We're going to give Medicaid to all these illegal mm-hmm. aliens. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you basically buy political loyalty. Who's going to vote for somebody who's going to take away your, you mm-hmm. know, your goodies, right? So it's, a, it's, it's basically machine-style political corruption. And it's not rocket science. I'm not telling anybody that, you know, any big insight here. It's about being able to get rubber stamp reelected year after year and, and replicating a successful machine style political model. Mm-hmm. But the worst part of it is the people in the Democratic Party used to claim they cared about the marginalized, the downtrodden. I think there's one area where everybody, all the evidence is clear. It's the lower skilled American workers who take it on the chin from illegal immigration. If you see the native born male labor force participation has been declining steadily mm-hmm. since the mid seventies as Im- illegal immigration has spun out of control to the point now where it's a disappearing middle class, at least in Canada, they recognize mass immigration fuels housing increase in housing costs. In the U.S., Wall Street keeps saying, oh, we need more immigration because it lowers inflation. I mean, give me a break. Mm-hmm. If you can't afford housing, mm-hmm. Where's the American dream? Yeah. Well, and, and as I listen to you describe this, and I think accurately, it's almost as if they are in a race to make sure their current base doesn't figure out what they're about to do to them. Well, you see, they focus on these sidebar issues for at least for some of us, like abortion and you know, fan, and 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 gun control, and ignore fentanyl and the border crisis and the media. There's a compliant media out there that acts like there's nothing to see on the border. Mm. I think CNN finally ran a couple stories this week about the yes. border. You know, they they don't, but they never pin it on. I mean, Biden came in and systematically for the first 35, 40 days dismantled every conceivable component that was working. We have a hundred years of effective knowledge on how to control immigration. This mm. guy is turning around, sending billions. Of dollars to Ukraine to patrol their borders, but he won't. He says, I'm sending 1,500 troops down. What are they doing? Carrying huggies and other diapers for the border patrol to change in processing centers. They're not actually deterring anything. It's poor Governor Abbott who's doing the heavy lifting. Yeah, before we go, I want to ask you quickly about that. Are the steps the governor announced yesterday enough to make a difference in Texas? Well, they can have some deterrent value, but the, the problem is that it's a federal policy. And in the end, 
only the federal government can determine uh, immigration status and they can only only they can do deportation and removal so you know if you have a, an executive under the constitution if he fails in his role as commander in chief to control the borders it's just like deploying the military or international relations or coining money or printing money i mean if the if the commander in chief fails to carry out the essential functions in executing the laws passed by Congress, this is why there's an impeachment yeah. power. The guy's clearly incompetent. Yeah. Well, they're not going to do that, obviously, from what we can see. Uh, Dan Stein, Federation for American Immigration Reform. Great summation of where we're at right now. Thank you for coming on today. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Good to have you. Good talk. 446 on KTSA. I want to get your reaction to what Dan just kind of described and ran through. And then I want to ask another question. Um. I'm going to assume that you you see the pictures, you you see what's about to happen, you see the numbers, or you you can maybe maybe you're like me. It's almost hard to wrap your head around the numbers, but the numbers are there. We we have basically when we used to say years and years ago when we used to talk about illegal immigration, we would always say there are approximately 11 million illegal immigrants. Obviously, there's way more than that now, and and many more coming in and and escaping uh, notice or not reporting. Uh, once they are paroled in, where do you think, what do you think this is going to look like? And Dan talked a little about it. What do you think this is going to look like? What are you expecting? And I'm not talking about just on the border, but like think about schools. Think about um, the economy. What do you think this is going to look like? Because we are going to, ha- no matter what happens in the next election, no matter what may happen with with a court decision uh, at some point during Biden's presidency, at least for the remainder of his term, this is how it's going to be. This is how it's going to be. So, what do you think will happen? Either there's a plan, or the plan is that there's no plan for the end of Title Forty Two. Um, right now, every time I turn on the news, I see stories about how the shelters are full, the, the churches are full, the city facilities are full, the, um, you know, nonprofit organizations are all overwhelmed. There are people, uh, in, on sidewalks, in supermarket parking lots, in parks. And this is before the release of maybe tens of thousands uh, more people uh, along the border. And um, I'm just kind of curious to know what you think this is going to look like in the weeks and months and maybe years ahead. We, we, we know how bad it's going to look this week. But, I mean, beyond that, what does it do? What does it change? Because, you know, there is an argument, and you probably have heard it, Used to hear it a lot more, but there is kind of the libertarian argument about immigration, which is that uh, immigration is a free market exercise that basically it's nothing to worry about. That you will um, the, the 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 pure libertarian argument about this is that if you let people into your country, they'll stop coming when there's no ability to absorb them. There's, they'll stop coming when the magnet gets turned off or when the opportunity dries up or when the uh, capacity to have more people is, is exhausted. And so the libertarian argument, I think, would be you, you just you don't have to set a limit. The, the, the society sets its own limit. 
it knows when it's full. And somehow the immigrant on the other side of the border knows, okay, n- n- don't go. That, that would be their argument. So there, there are people that believe that. I mean, I don't, but maybe you do. 210-599-5555. Tanya's on KTSA and the Jack Riccardi Show. Hi, Tanya. Hi, how are you? Thanks for taking my call. I have sure. a, a bunch of things that was what you just said about the libertarian argument. Um, well, that's um, it's, uh, immigration that's legal, you know, and not the illegal type that the Biden administration is blasting out to the whole world. Just come, come. It doesn't matter if you're legal. So I don't know that the libertarian argument really applies well there are libertarians that say i don't want to get sidetracked by them i want you to make your points but just to just to be clear they would say open the border stop worrying about legalizing people and people won't come once you've taken as many people as you can employ and house and school and so forth well let me go to what the really thing that i really wanted to say which is the other guy you were interviewing um, I believe they are misrepresenting um, the governor's ability to do something here. Uh, the governor took an oath to not only the U.S. Constitution, but the Texas Constitution. And why do we have almost 40 counties in Texas who have declared an invasion and besieged Governor Abbott to, to declare an invasion? So why? why? So he can um, do his duty that he took an oath to Article 4, Section 7, of the Constitution mm-hmm. says if we have an invasion, mm-hmm. it is his obligation and duty to mm-hmm. secure the border. He he can do it. He's the commander-in-chief. He's not doing it. And, you know, so... Well, what, what, what I think Dan Stein work. said, let me just quickly get your reaction to it. He said that Abbott can't declare the status of an immigrant. So if the federal government says you can come in and you can stay... Uh, Abbott can't override that definition of somebody that is able to, you well, know, he, he can pick people up that are here illegally and turn them over to the feds, but he can't determine who is and is not in the country legally. But he but he can secure the border, and that's what he's not doing. He so let me ask you this, that. Tanya, and I'm not arguing with you when I ask you this, okay? Yeah. Don't take it as an argument. I'm just okay. asking. No, that's okay. If, if, if he was to say, we're going to enforce the border the way we think we need to, and that clashed with federal agencies who are under federal orders to do something different. Who would prevail there? The states. The states are sovereign. The states are sovereign. No, no, I didn't ask you that. I didn't ask you who has sovereignty. I asked you if there are two guys with different orders standing next to each other, who's yeah. going to prevail? I, I say the states. The Tenth Amendment rule. But That's what does the other guy do? Just step back? Well, either way, I mean, somebody is going to... Do you, do you understand, you're, you're making, and I, and I agree with your intellectual argument, but you're making an intellectual argument. I'm saying as a practical matter, if agency A is letting people in and agency B is not, how does that work? Well, I mean, I, I mean, other than to tell you that you would have to go with the Constitution, which, I mean, if you want to say, well, we're just going to duke it out here, I'm going to... Who's got the most firepower here? I mean, I don't really know. That's kind of see. That's what I worry about. I don't think you can have that. We can't. We can't have. Well, but but if but so what you're saying then is that the federal government rules. That's what you're ended up. Saying. Yeah, I, I'm I'm agreeing with your intellectual argument, but you're not giving me, and it's no one has given me a practical well, application of how you do, of how you physically carry that out on the border. 
Well, if, if the if the state is sovereign and the governor is going to do what he should be doing, which is mm-hmm. securing the border, he can mm-hmm. he can do that as commander in chief, and he can direct that. He so can he can tell he now. can tell his people to tell the feds to stand down. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Okay. Sheriffs do it. Sheriffs do it in their county right now. Absolutely. Okay. All right, Tanya, I got to hold you. So I'm just curious to know, as a media guy, what are your thoughts, or do you have any opinion yet as to the idea of Twitter being a platform akin to Fox News or CNN, or because Obviously, a lot of media people use Twitter. Mm -hmm. They use it to buttress, promote, reinforce, brand build. But you have Tucker Carlson announcing today, well, that's just going to be the the base for my show. Yeah. It'll be successful. I mean, yeah, I think it will be successful. It it will be hard. I think it'll be tough, though, that every show can only be 240 characters. (laughs) <laughs> um, I think that will be limiting, but no, I'm just kidding. But uh, no, I mean, obviously, what's funny to me is think of all the people that are Tucker Carlson fans that at one time hated Twitter, mm-hmm. right? And now they're going to love Twitter. They're going to have Twitter bumper stickers. To start with, a lot can change in what a year, less than mm-hmm. a year. Mm-hmm. And I can tell, just being, you know, being a a news director, anchor, gatherer here in San Antonio, there's there's a fair amount of information. For example, I can probably figure something out pertaining to San Antonio Police Department through the Twitter feed before mm-hmm. I can get to a spokesman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you, yeah, everything's kind of working together, but mm-hmm. Twitter, Twitter's in news and sports, especially Twitter's huge. And, and now the other side of this is, you know, Fox, you know, they, they sent Tucker out the door. So, I mean, I heard you, we've heard a number of people talking this week about <laughs> what Fox's ratings are doing. Yeah. Uh, TV is, uh, yeah, 20 years ago, we were all concerned in radio before I stepped out of the business for several years. We thought if it's not the satellite radios, it's the consolidation or the automation, local, local radio has survived. But what we didn't see was how I think the year after I left the business, oh, five, YouTube comes out, Facebook mm-hmm. comes out, mm-hmm. Twitter comes out. So we mm-hmm. just walked out right before social media. So yeah. would you agree that? The social media platforms, and specifically with their digital capabilities, are hitting TV a lot harder yep. than us. Yep, absolutely. That's absolutely. what I think. No, I think that's right. Yeah. I, I think that's right. I think it'll be interesting. And um, obviously the other piece of this is this could not have happened, this particular move could not have happened if Elon Musk had not bought Twitter. That's a fact. Yep. I agree. So he's, only, he's, he's really going to the Elon Musk Twitter, not the Twitter as we've known it and described it low these many years many a many a talk show has been based on that 210-599-5555 here is what tucker carlson uh, announced less than two hours ago take a listen starting soon we'll be bringing a new version of the show we've been doing for the last six and a half years to twitter we bring some other things too which we'll tell you about but for now we're just grateful to be here free speech is the main right that you have without it you have no others see you soon all right, uh, 210-599-5555, get your reaction to that. Um, I told you when the Tucker Carlson thing blew up, it was one of only two uh, shows that I ever watched live or regularly, and uh, I will definitely 
check out what he has to offer on Twitter. I, I did not in the in the, just to be fair, I never did get into the Fox Nation thing. I probably would have eventually if he had stayed with Fox, but I didn't, and now I I don't think I will. Um, what's also happening, I think, not, not to get too deep in the weeds about this, is that um, broadcasters used to look for the right platform for what they did. If you were a disc jockey, you wanted to be on the cool, most heavily listened to radio station. If you were a, uh, a an opinion host, you wanted to be on the most watched network. If you were a news anchor, etc. But now... If you get to a point like Tucker Carlson got to, you are the platform. You're not looking for somebody to be your platform. You're lo- you are the platform. And, and so really, he's just planting all the stuff he's built and the brand and the following and what people expect from him and depend on him for. He's just planting that pin on the Twitter spot of the map. Uh, it'd be interesting to see what it does to Twitter. I'm sure there's going to be paroxysms of outrage and that's it i'm leaving i'll never you know like remember npr announced they were no longer going to post content to twitter there'll be a lot of virtue signaling and pearl clutching now about twitter i'm sure 210-599-5555 the border we were talking about this uh, right before the uh, news with tanya tanya was saying governor abbott could and should do more to enforce the border and I understand her argument, and I am not one who is a unabashed fan of, of Greg Abbott. I think Greg Abbott is, is a very which-way-is-the-wind-blowing kind of guy. He's, he's kind of conservative, but he's also very safe. I do think, and this is just me, that you can't have a secure border unless you have a federal government that wants it secure. So we can argue about whose personnel you can put on the border and how you could uh, work around them or or foil them. Or, but, but at the end of the day, remember that Governor Abbott is now the only Republican border governor. And you know, whatever he's doing, that's the only thing like it that's going to be done along the border. So I, I like what, what Tanya's saying, and I don't disagree with the intellectual correctness of it, but you're just not going to have a secure border unless the federal government's committed to it. And if they're actually, th- th- this federal government that we have now in the, in the personages of Joe Biden's team, it's not just that they're uncommitted or like we talked about yesterday, it's not incompetence. They are very committed to their experiment of massive influxes of people who will have to be accommodated locally and then the crisis that creates at the local level, the overwhelming of schools, hospitals, basic infrastructure, the, the inevitable consequence of that will be a cry for help to the federal government. When the federal government responds to that call, it will be with strings attached. And that's where you get what, I, in my opinion, that's where you get um, 
what we were talking about with Dan Stein. So when Dan Stein was talking about um, the sort of dependent voters and new voters, the, the, the way you get to that point is first you have to wreak havoc with the lives of individuals, with communities, with school districts, with hospitals, with, with infrastructure. So when you're, when you're, when you're basically like diabolically committed to unleashing that kind of chaos, this is not just a liberal border policy. This isn't dreamers. This isn't amnesty. This isn't Reagan in 86, the, the, you know, the Simpson Mazzoli amnesty. This is, this isn't just some sort of whoopsie. This is a fanatically committed plan for a massive influx across that southern border. And I don't think you can negate that with all the best intentions of of one state. Maybe if all the states along the border were shoulder to shoulder and linked arms, maybe. Still would be a standoff. Still would get very ugly and, and tense. You'd still be pitting professional against professional, people answering to different bosses, different orders. But you've only got one governor and one state. And, of course, it's the biggest one, but it's the only one. We welcome to the show now on the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line, retired judge and former Bear County District Attorney Steve Hilbig. Judge, good afternoon. Well, good afternoon, Jack. Thanks for having me. So, um... Of the many legal actions involving Donald Trump these days, you could almost have like a like a like a cable channel that was just be like Trump justice, right? Just be like all these. But anyway, uh, we got a, a jury verdict uh, pretty quickly, just a few hours of deliberation, and this was in the suit brought by author E. Jean Carroll. She said that in 1996 uh, he uh, encountered her in a uh, department store in Manhattan and um, forced himself. Uh, kind of forced himself on her and, and mistreated her. And um, the jury said that he was liable, but not of rape. They said that he was uh, liable of, I guess, what was it, sexual? Sexual battery. Uh, battery, and, and also defamation of her, right? Right. So I'm, I'm curious about a few things. Um, it, it, because they awarded $5 million, but... How do you? How would you begin to come up with a dollar figure around a set of accusations like this? Like, what does that mean? Well, it, it's hard to, and and I don't think on appeal that that a, a uh, appellate court is likely to disturb the amount. I mean, it, it's it's you know you ask the jury, well, how would you feel if somebody you know accused you of being a liar about such a serious manner okay. and defamed you and hurt your reputation what is it worth to you and then you know i've heard lawyers do is it a dollar a day and then they multiply it out you know since 19 whatever it was 1996 or whatever and and so you know it it's a guessing game and but so long as it's not like totally outrageous then it, it should be sustained on appeal and likely the amount here is not that outrageous given uh, Donald Trump's financial abilities to pay, uh, I don't think that they'll reverse it on appeal for the amount of damages. 
So, so you actually anticipated one of my questions, which was, is the $5 million based on damage done to her, or is the $5 million based yes. on how much money he has? Well, again, it's kind of like the, the, an appellate court will look, is this outrageous given the, the type of conduct? Uh, frankly, it's been a while since I looked at the law on do they take his ability to pay into consideration, but I think that that goes into uh, you know, goes into the matrix as to whether or not uh, it is so outrageous that it needs to be reduced. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yes, it is for damage to her. Uh, and, and so if the assault is, okay, you know, you physically touched her, uh, you abused her, and so therefore that's worth some money. Uh, and, you know, they may look at that one a little harder as to the amount, because I think that was maybe in the $3 million award and the defamation too. But, you know, again, likely I, I doubt that it'll get reversed on appeal based on the amount. Mm-hmm. The, the jury was given, as I understand it, a series of questions uh, to answer. And then how they answered certain questions led to other questions, right? Correct. Yeah, in, in would, other words, go ahead. How would a jury looking at something that happened in 1996 be able? And I'm not asking you how did they do it. I'm just sort of asking, like, if we were in if we were in a classroom and you were describing this hypothetically, how might a jury figure out? Well, we think that sexual assault happened, but we don't know or think that rape happened. Well, and that's the funny thing because in Texas we've replaced the term rape with the term sexual assault. So it, it, when I heard sexual assault but not rape, it was confusing to me for a moment. But the sexual assault would indicate that a groping occurred. So touching of the breast, touching of the vaginal area, maybe over the clothes or anything like that would, would sustain the finding of a, of a sex abuse or sexual assault. Rape implies uh, penetration. And so that would be the difference. And so it's kind of like, of course, there's no physical evidence uh, that the rape occurred, and so the jury may have felt like, all right, well, we can't go there. Uh, but from a preponderance of the evidence that, you know, we'll find that maybe he did grope her. And, and again, the- <laughs> that's based on, well, she said it happened. He didn't. Mm-hmm. Who do we believe? And sometimes the who do we believe is based on who do they like. And, and that's mm-hmm. not necessarily overt. But it's kind of like if you don't like somebody, then it's kind of hard to believe sometimes what they're telling you uh, in the face of somebody saying, no, it really happened, and perhaps a more sympathetic person saying that it had happened. Mm-hmm. So he, of course, is is all flustered, and we're going to appeal this, and it's outrageous, and it's part of the witch hunt against me. In essence, though, that is how people will see it, right? I mean, it... And now I guess I'm asking more of an opinion question than a law question, but this seems like yet another occasion when how you already feel about Donald Trump is going to color what you think of this jury verdict. Yeah, I agree. And and as we talked about it before, some people might look at it, okay, well, this is finally the last straw that says, okay, now I'm not going to support him. I mean, obviously there will be some in that camp, but I agree with you that, you know, the diehards will look at it and say, well, it's a conspiracy. Uh, but but also, to a degree, I mean, I think that the earlier, uh, was it the Access TV tape where he bragged mm-hmm. about being able to grab uh, women in, in their private parts? I mean, stuff like that 
And okay, this happened back, what, 1996, I believe, or in the mm-hmm. 90s. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. so I think to a large degree, <laughs> people are going to say, yeah, we already knew that about him. He's mm-hmm. boorish. He does this sort of stuff. But the question is, do we like his policies? You know, and, and I'm sure you've heard, I've heard a lot of people say, you know, two things. One is, well, I don't like his, his way of acting, and so therefore I'm not going to vote for him. Other people say, I don't like the way he acts, but I like the policies, and so I am going to vote for him. So I think it would only affect a small amount of people kind of in the middle of the fence. Yeah. Steve Hilbig, retired judge, former Bear County District Attorney. Always appreciate your availability and, and explanation, and uh, thank you again for it today. Well, again, thank you for having me, Jack. Y'all have a good evening. You as well. I've got something I agree with uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre on. I, yeah, you heard me right. I, 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 Corinne Jean-Pierre was making sense at the White House podium. They were talking about the debt ceiling. They had a big meeting today, Biden and McCarthy and Schumer, and I think uh, Cocaine Mitch was there. And nothing got done, so nothing to tell you. But anyway, um, KJP was trying to break down the importance of the debt ceiling debate. Listen to what she said about paying your debts, cut number seven. If you buy a car, you are expected to pay the monthly payments. If you buy a home, you are expected Mm -hmm. to pay the mortgage every month. Yes. That is the expectation. That is the spending that you put forth or spending that you may have done before. Mm -hmm. And now Mm -hmm. you're paying it every month. If you do not pay your car payment, if you do not pay your mortgage payment, then your credit is going to be bad. It's going to hurt your credit. So let's look at wait a minute, wait a minute. So let's look at her let's look at her analogies. You gotta pay what you owe. If you have a car note, you gotta pay it. If you have a mortgage on your house, you gotta pay it. Could one say, might one as another example, just to throw it out there, might one also say, if you borrowed money to go to college? Oh, but wait a minute. No, that you don't have to pay. You shouldn't have to pay that. No, come on. That's crazy talk, Riccardi. What are you talking about? So apparently at Corinne Jean-Pierre University in the Department of Economics, if you borrow money for a car or a house, you got to pay that back. But if you borrow money for college, eh, you know, eh. Come on, Jack. Come on, fat, as Biden said. You know who Nicolas Cage is, right, the actor? Okay. And everybody, everybody I've ever talked to about Nicolas Cage either loves him or hates him. I don't know anybody that's, that's like in the middle on Nicolas Cage. Obviously very famous, very successful actor. He's got a new movie out, a fairly re- recently released movie called Renfield. But Nicolas Cage is kind of a weird dude. And he said something the other night on Colbert that I want to ask you about. He claims that he can remember being in utero. Like, think of your earliest memory when you're a kid. What's the, what's the farthest back you can remember? What's the youngest thing, youngest age you remember anything happening? You remember your first day of kindergarten, or you remember your fourth birthday party, or whatever it might be. He says, no, no, I've got you beat. I can remember being in the womb. 
I remember being in the womb. Uh, do you think that's possible? I, I don't. Um, love Nicolas Cage. You should watch a movie called 8mm. It's really cool. It's very disturbing. It's not one of his better-known movies. But no, I don't think you I don't think you have those memories. What is the furthest back you can remember? So I started thinking about it. And, and here's where we get into trouble because if you if you look at old photographs, like I've got a picture of myself going to a birthday party when I'm like 2 years old. And I've seen that picture a million times. I think it's somewhere in my house now. But I don't remember that. And yet when I look at that picture, I want to say, oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember that car. I remember that outfit. But I really don't. I, I just I only know that happened because there's a photo of it. What's the earliest thing you remember, the youngest you were that you remember something? I, I think for me it's kindergarten. I don't think I go back any further than that. I do remember kindergarten. I remember the first day. I remember the classroom. I remember the door you went through. It had its own door at the school. You didn't go in with the, with the first through fifth graders. You went to the separate door and the kindergarten room had its own entrance. And I remember the teacher and I don't, I can't go any further back than that. Can you go further back than kindergarten? 210-599-5555. What is the earliest you remember in your life? A period, an event. An age. Nicholas Cage says he remembers being in the womb. <laughs> I don't think that's possible. I don't even think I'd want to remember that. Right? I mean that that's that's heavy. That's that's too much I don't need to know that. I just need to know I was there and I'm not there anymore. That's all I need to know. I don't want to remember that. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Don Cooper, what is the earliest you remember in your life? I mean, do you remember kindergarten, headphones. or do you remember earlier than kindergarten? The earliest, uh, probably uh, around five, around five. I can actually so around remember. the age of kindergarten. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I asked a few people this uh, this week, and everybody said that no one went further back than about four or five. And I I wonder if there is like a is there a right answer? Is there like a scientific answer, or is it possible to remember things further back than that? 210-599-5555. So we're going to grab a few calls on that. Do you, can you, can you, and you don't have to tell the whole story. I mean, you can just say it was a birthday party. It was the first day of school. It was, I fell out of a tree, whatever it was. But just what is the earliest you remember something from your life? Being alive. It's the earliest you remember. Nicholas Cage says it's before he was born which is the kind of answer that obviously ends the conversation because nobody can beat that. <laughs> or can you? Maybe maybe you could beat that. I remember when I was just a gleam in my father's eye. Uh, all right, uh, Clay is on the Jack Riccardi Show. Hi, Clay. Well, when, when I was three, we lived in Houston. Three and maybe early part of when I was four, and I have... Mm two distinct memories from the apartment we lived in in Houston. So I was yeah. three, maybe maybe the early part of four, but considerably before yeah. I went to kindergarten. That's pretty impressive. So I, I, have, I go far back. My father-in-law always claimed he could remember being born, but I can't verify that. That sounds like something a father-in-law would say. It sounds like some of father-in-law would say. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Clay. Clay says he goes back to three in the early part of four. 
I was um, just shy of five when I went into kindergarten because I was a September baby, so I was four for a few weeks and then turned uh, five in kindergarten. Um, and, and that seems like the neighborhood most people go back to. Jerry is on the radio. Hi, Jerry. Hi. Uh, I go back to three, uh, and I know that for a fact, and it's just an event that happened. I followed my, my father out into the, the feedlot, and, and a cow mm-hmm. came over and, and, and tried to, to gore me. And so the horns went on either side of me, and luckily wow. enough, I wouldn't survive today. But luckily enough, the horns went on either side of me, and I grabbed a hole of, of, of the, you know, b- both horns like they were handlebars, and it was bumping me wow. into, the, into the barn. My father turned around and broke a hole over over its back, and the cow went on out in the pasture. Wow! And I know that preceded my getting bit. Uh, it's, it's kind of like a weird story. Well, you're you're lucky, to, you're lucky to even later. be here, Jerry. <laughs> yeah, you're later. like a you're, you're like a stunt man. I mean, that's incredible. So that story you, you about the cow, that story about the cow. I mean, that, that other people have corroborated that. Have said yes that you're remembering it right. That really did happen because I know there's oh, probably times we think we remember something and then it didn't happen. But you, you've oh no, it, I rem- right? how many times has that happened in your life? <laughs> I remember it yeah. very well. There you go. And, and 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 on top of that, I got I was bit uh, probably uh, I, I'm not sure if it was weeks or months. It was still before my fourth birthday. I was bit by a, a large rattlesnake and dropped in the field. And that same cow that almost killed me actually ended up saving my life because it. It, it went up to the pasture and saw me. My parents could, didn't know where to go. We lived in an area where it was just miles and miles of brushes in South Texas. And and the cow came out and was standing over me. And that's how my mother uh-huh. found me because the grass was higher than oh, I. Goodness. So it, it kind of paid wow. me back, I guess. I guess so. <laughs> but you don't forget you've had like quite that. a You've had quite a life, Jerry. I, I don't know what to say. I'm not, I will say this. I'm never standing anywhere near you. All right, I'm. I'm, ne- I'm not going to stand anywhere <laughs> well, near that's Jerry. That's probably where you would have stand. <laughs> no, I don't think I so. But thank you, sir. Appreciate the call. All right, uh, just, just, just want to know what age you were. The earliest memory you had: two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Kent is on the Jack Riccardi show. Hi, Kent. Hey, Jack. How are you? I was uh, three or four, and we had a tornado in the town. And some neighbors down the street had a house built into the side of a hill, and they had a basement. And we went in that basement. And I remember I, they had kids, and they had comic books. Well, I couldn't read. So I just looked at the comic books yeah. and waited uh-huh. for whatever was going to happen. Yeah. So this is something that you didn't just hear people talking about later. You actually remember going through it. No, I, re- I remember looking at the comic books and... Because the older kids were reading them, and I just was looking at the pictures. Yeah. There you go. That's quite a memory. Kent, thank you. I appreciate having you. Um, 210-599-5555. Earliest uh, you remember being alive, actor Nicolas Cage says it was in the womb. Top that. Actor Nicolas Cage says his earliest memory in life is being in the womb. I wanted to ask you, what is your earliest memory? memory what's furthest back you can remember that you're sure you remember and not like from having seen a picture in a photo album or or hearing people tell a story that you were involved in marshall is on the radio hi marshall hey this is marshall the adjuster how you doing jack good marshall um what's the earliest you can remember so i remember probably pre-k i was going to a school in minnesota and the school actually burned to the ground so i remember going on a bus to the school and it was no longer there mm. and 
then I remember that then a big gap in memory and then um, going to kindergarten at the brand new rebuilt school and mm. they were totally a different place. Yeah. And so it, you were around you were around four years old for pre K probably. Yes, definitely. And I think it's just yeah. because like a traumatic event happens and then it just kind of right. steers in your mind forever. I'm sure that for a lot of people, the first day of school or the first time they went to school would be a big. That would be a big thing. That's a pretty big. In your, in your early years, that's like the biggest thing that happens to you. So, unless you get yeah, married okay. young, I guess. Yeah, but I all right, Marshall. Thank you. Um, Janice is on the radio on KTSa. Hi, Janice. Hey, Jack. Well, two traumatic events I can recall. One is I am in the baby crib in my parents' bedroom, and my father has just given me a bottle, and this is the old type where you know the nipple came out. Mm. of the glass bottle, mm. and um, as I'm sucking on the bottle, the nipple comes off and all the milk flows in my face. Mm. And my parents both hear me cough and they jump up. They're standing over me, and my mother is screaming, she swallowed the nipple, she swallowed the nipple. My mother mm. was always pretty much a, a mm. drama queen. And I, my father's picking me up and trying to shake the nipple out of my mouth, and I, keep, <laughs> I can't com- communicate with them. I'm crying, but I want yeah. them to know the nipple is yeah. not in my mouth. It's yeah. under the pillow yeah. behind my head. And you really remember this from being two years old? Oh, yeah. I was probably less than two years old. Less than two. Wow. And then um, the other one is... Do you, think it, do you think it had to be because it was a traumatic... Like you wouldn't have remembered just a, a, a regular day when you were that no. age? Yeah, I don't know. No. The other time that I can remember, which would be around the same time, my parents bought a new house when I was, say, 20 months old. And I remember crawling on my hands and knees in that house, and it had hardwood floors. And I was very put out about, where did the carpet go? And I don't remember too Mm. much about the old house, but I definitely remember crawling on the new floor in the new house. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, Janice, thank you. Uh, Penny is on the radio on KTSA. Hi, Penny. Hi, Jack. Well, how far back do you go, the, Penny? I go all the way back to infancy, probably six months or so. Six um, months? Really? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I remember um, as an infant, my sister, my older sister being put into bed with me and her taking my, my bottle away from me, and it was always just a, the, the most tragic thing. Um, and then also I remember my mom would put us on the floor and we, um, you know, as a baby, you know, you, you can't, you, you can't really even crawl at six months old, but you're, you kind of on your belly kind of waddling around like a, like a walrus. And, mm. and I remember the floor distinctly, it had a pink mm. and green paisley pattern to it. Mm. This was back wow. in the sixties and, right, right. and I remember it very well. And I have to say this much, I am, my, my brain is so screwed up and I'm 60 years old now. And, um, my psychiatrist even says the fact that I remember back that far is very scary. Mm. (laughs) That's amazing. Is your memory pretty good about other stuff? Like, can you remember like passwords and stuff like that? Oh, heavens yes. I can dial a number once on the phone and I remember it for life and I'm not even saying. Yeah. I knew I hated, I knew I hated you, Penny. I knew I hated you. All right. All right, your brain's not screwed up. You're, I want to be screwed up like that. I want a memory like that. But, Penny, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. So this is uh, mostly going to be rain tonight, right? We're not uh, 
looking at the other stuff on the menu. No, there's going to be a few areas where there could be some large hail, uh, maybe some heavy rainfall locally. But what they're saying, and I asked uh, uh, one of the meteorologists a few hours ago, I said, this is not really like that sudden heavy rain and a big mm. black cloud coming. This is kind of like a long, sustained yep. San Francisco, Seattle type rain, yep. you know, in December. Yep. And they agreed. That's that's uh, We have a disturbance overhead, and that's going to kind of keep it relatively light but you know the concern is that since the rain's going to continue for so long and these storms are not moving fast that's going to be something to watch for as far as uh, possibility of flooding maybe flash flooding in some yep. places so yeah we will keep an eye out for that you have a mm-hmm. good night be safe going home you Christian too. blood with us later in this hour the results on the jr poll question about grady's uh they announced that uh, the grady's chain is closing and uh, going out of business, they thanked their customers. It's been seventy something years. Um, I think the 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 first thing I thought of, and I think it was Grady. Somebody will know. But you remember one time when Bill Clinton was president, he came to San Antonio, and they made a big deal out of him stopping at a barbecue place, and it was on two eighty one. And I think it was the Grady's over there by the airport. Somebody will know, and give me a call if you do. Uh, that was like a big thing back uh, back in the day. <laughs> I mean, it kind of sounds like something Bill Clinton would have done, right? I'm always thinking of that. I always think of that Phil Hartman sketch. Have you ever seen the Saturday Night Live sketch when the late Phil Hartman played him? One of the best impressions of a president we've ever had was Phil Hartman doing Bill Clinton, and he does this sketch where uh, Clinton is president and he goes for a jog. Remember, he used to jog, and um, he stops in at a McDonald's on his jog. And he's talking to the voters, and he's engaged, you know, he's chatting everybody up. And while he's talking to them, he's eating off their trays. It's just, it's just, it sounds like something he would have done. It sounds like he would have gone to Great East by the airport. So I'm going to make that a memory, whether it happened or not, since we're doing that now. Uh, 210-599-5555. Um, we'll talk about that. We'll see how you voted later in the hour. Here's the headline that caught my attention. Trans, and, and, This is a little gross, but just bear with me on this. Trans woman is cleared of flashing penis at YMCA. Oh, come on. You would read it, too. You know you would. Trans woman is cleared of flashing penis at YMCA because she's too fat for genitals to be visible. An Ohio judge ruled that Darren Glines, who now goes by Rachel, was not guilty of indecent exposure because his gut was too large for his private parts to to show. The complaint was the three juveniles saw this incident at a YMCA changing room for women, for, for girls. And charges were brought. And this guy's defense lawyer, I don't know what you call, you, you call the fours up there, you call whatever number you call up there, the twos, the sevens, whatever you call up there in Ohio, calls the defense lawyer. The defense says, you know what? It, he, it, it, it can't have happened because this person is so big that they don't show. Quote, There is no question that Glines was in the women's locker room. But he wasn't charged with trespass, wasn't charged with being where he was not supposed to be. The facts do not exist to support a finding of guilt. 
because the genitalia were not visible as a result of other portions of the body covering them. This is this is the this is the world we live in now. This is the world we live in. Um so I I wonder I, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this but I I do wonder when there's a story like this. So remember we had the story about the uh the woman who was in the news, she was banned from a YMCA. I forget where this was, maybe California or something. She she would go to the Y and she would use the locker room. I think she liked to swim and she came out and complained that there was a man in the woman's locker room and the Y took it out on her. They said that she had been mean and broken their rules and, and so instead of expelling the man from the woman's locker room, she was given a lifetime ban from going to that why. And my question is, I wonder how many times a day in this country somebody's in a locker room or some other changing room or whatever, and they see this, but just don't say anything. I mean, we only hear about it. It's only in the news if there's a a dust-up or the cops are called or there's a criminal case. Or somebody makes a, you know, goes and posts it. But, but don't you think there must be more and more occasions where people are just like, I'm just going to keep my head down. I'm just going to get, finish my business here and get out of here. I think there's a lot. I think there has to be. Because we do that with everything else, right? I mean, most of the time you see something outrageous, you just like, I'm minding my own business. So. Only hear about the ones that make the news. This one made the news. Um, all right. I, I was wondering if it was Grady's that Bill Clinton uh, went to when he was president. Uh, whoop, we just lost the caller. We had, we had somebody that was going to tell us, and now we don't know. Now we'll never know. Uh, I, I said this yesterday, and I mean it. You should never get your hopes up too much when politicians talk about big announcements and bombshells. But supposedly, I'm just saying supposedly, tomorrow... We're going to hear something from Congressman Jim Comer in the House Oversight Committee about um, the Biden family business. All those millions of dollars from all those other countries flowing into those LLCs and then into members of the of the into the bank accounts of various members of the Biden family. Apparently, not just Hunter Biden, but including and not limited to Joe Biden. And Comer says tomorrow is the day. That's why he said they shouldn't indict. The DOJ should not indict Hunter Biden until they hear what we have turned up. And I don't know if it's true. I'm just passing this along to you. But I will tell you what I do know. It seems obvious to us that if there was money coming in from China and Ukraine and so forth, And if Hunter Biden was setting up meetings with Daddy, it seems obvious to us that those were payoffs for access. But you will actually have to prove it in a court of law. And I don't know if they can do that. 
I would frankly be surprised if they could do that. And I'll tell you why. Not because I don't think it happened. I, I do think it happened. But because imagine how stupid you would have to be to leave behind anything that proved it happened. So the money is there. It looks terrible. But as long as you've got your, yeah, but what about Trump card to play, unless they can literally convict you, I don't think anything happens. And remember that what we say about Donald Trump, we also have to say about Joe Biden. People have already priced into Joe Biden the the notions of his not being too sharp, of his not really being in charge of the presidency, of his um, family being dodgy and sketchy about money, of Hunter, all the stuff with Hunter. I mean, Hunter is the... He, he he is the gold medal winner for presidential, you know, offspring. I mean, we've we've had some crazies. We've had some kooky, crazy, weird, funky presidential offspring, you know. We I mean, Hunter is it'll be it'll be hard to top Hunter. I don't know if you can do it. I don't know if you can do it. I hope no, nobody tries. I don't know if you can do it. But remember, it's priced in. So people that that are supporting Joe Biden, people that can't wait to go vote for Joe Biden, they, they, they're not going to change their mind because they learn about this. In the same way that people that can't wait to go vote for Donald Trump next year aren't going to let the E. Jean Carroll verdict change their mind. And Joe Biden has something else going for him that will be different this time. Um, You know, he's never been popular outside of Delaware. He's never been popular in this country. He was never popular when he previously ran for president as a much younger, more vibrant guy. He wasn't really even very popular as vice president. Obama seldom mentioned him, seldom appeared with him. When... President Obama made his re-election announcement in, in 2012. There wasn't a mention of Biden. Whereas in the video that Joe Biden put out, there were 10 or 12 glimpses of Kamala Harris. So Joe Biden has never been popular. And he wasn't chosen by Obama because he was popular. And he wasn't chosen by the Democrats in 2020 because he was popular. What he's always had going for him is that Trojan horse thing. And now he has that with the incumbency. He has the presidency. He's already there. He had to hide in the basement of his house in Wilmington, Delaware, last time. Now he gets to hide in the presidency, where you can look very busy, where not coming out could mean, oh, big stuff's happening. So I'm not saying that he's a shoe in I, I think he will be defeated. I'm just saying it won't be easy, and what happens tomorrow is not a cause for spiking the football. Our our listeners, I'll tell you what, Don Cooper, we're lucky to have any listeners, because our listeners had some harrowing childhoods. If they weren't being gored by farm animals, they were drowning in milk in the crib, they were 
They, you know, I, I, it's just, it's, it's, a, I'm so glad they're still with us. Yeah. God bless them, though, if they can remember, you know, that far, well, I, I far guess into you their would, lives. See, that's why, I, guess, I think know? that's why I don't remember anything before four <laughs> or five. Nothing was happening. Well, we were talking off the air earlier about uh, how looking at photographs as we get older, could, and the more yeah. we look at, at those photographs yeah. of, of us at our younger age, it blurs yeah. that line about what we, thought we remembered yeah. at a certain age but i got nothing like that you know, our callers i mean i got nothing like that so why would i remember uh, you're not going to remember oh i watched a cartoon or oh i you, you barely know, you barely played with a matchbox you car. barely remember what we did yesterday yeah i don't show. i really I, I, nothing <laughs> nothing really ever happens to me so it's a wonder i remember anything at all um so yeah we're talking about the guy in the ymca imagine being so heavy so overweight and then that saves your skin He's he's in court for exposing himself, and the defense, and the judge agreed, the defense is you're so big, your stuff doesn't show, your junk doesn't show. That is something else. I wonder how many more times that defense will be attempted. I'm not talking about you're so big that you can't see it. I mean, I remember being so big, you'd look down, you couldn't see it. His was... his stomach is so big i know he's rachel but his stomach is so big how big is it no one no thank you no one can see the offending articles so 210-599-5555 tulsi gabbard was on uh last night uh with kaylee mcenany on the show that used to be uh, the, the artist formerly known as prince <laughs> the artist formerly known as Tucker Carlson, here's what she had to say about the transgender issue. Cut number six. They're asking us to take something that is clearly not real and believe that it's real. They're asking us to take something that is very clearly a mental illness that creates this delusion where you have people saying, well, I'm a man in a woman's body and vice versa. And then doctors committing, in the case of children especially, this medical malpractice, trying to turn this fantasy into reality and creating incredibly negative short and long-term consequences, both physically and psychologically. And so that's really the question that we, the American people, have to to ask ourselves and to answer is, are we going to live in a society of common sense and reality, or are we going to buy into this insanity uh, and this fantasy? Are we going to allow, and this is one of the reasons I left the Democratic Party is because we have the Democratic Party of today uh, selling this fantasy and and catering to it and, and giving credibility to this fantasy, the, these mental delusions, all because they think it'll give them more political power. A, a party that is willing to do anything, especially things that are damaging to children, right. all for the sake of political power should be frightening to everybody. I wonder if Tulsi Gabbard would be a good choice for that time slot on fox i mean maybe you're not maybe you're past the point of caring about it now but uh she's often a guest but it seems like she'd probably be a pretty good host too i mean tulsi gabbard is way too blunt to run for anything so yeah might as well do a show i guess um by the way if you missed it tucker carlson announced today via twitter that twitter will be the place to check him out from now on here is what he announced take a listen Starting soon, we'll be bringing a new version of the show we've been doing for the last six and a half years to Twitter. We'll be bringing some other things, too, which we'll tell you about. But for now, we're just grateful to be here. Free speech is the main right that you have. Without it, you have no others. 
See you soon. So you'll be able to basically, I guess, you know, it sounds like it might not be a live thing. It sounds like it might be a drop, but we'll see. Um, Tucker Carlson and Twitter connecting. Interesting that one of his last, or maybe maybe his last really big interview was the interview with Elon Musk. Did he know even then? I don't know. So if you've watched the progression over the last couple of days, the identity of Jordan Neely, the guy on the subway that was restrained by the Marine and the other bystanders, is turning into Michael Jackson. I mean, they they said right at the beginning, when we first heard this story, oh, well, he's a guy that, he's a street performer, and he does this Michael Jackson impression, which was not great, but he did it. You get what you pay for, right? But now I notice in in the news, it's the Michael Jackson impression footage that they're using. Somehow there's footage. People, I guess, made tapes of him and, uh, you know, videoed, videoed him. And now when they refer to the Jordan Neely death and the protests in New York and what's going to happen with this uh, guy, Daniel Penny, they're playing the Michael Jackson impression. Now, it, that would be like if my job was... I was, um, say my job was I was Chuck E. Cheese or I was the Spurs Coyote. Okay. That was my job. And then I committed a crime. I'm not the Spurs Coyote. I'm not, Ch- I'm not Chuck E. Cheese. I know those are terrible examples. I'm sorry. They just popped into my head. I don't know why. That might be for another day, <laughs> but you know, they're turning it's like it's like Daniel Penny suffocated Michael Jackson. Do they think we're that stupid? Are people that stupid? I mean is that I guess I'm asking is that going to work? Because it's one thing if we're honest about this story, which is that this guy had a long record of freaking people out, scaring them, attacking a grandmother, attacking a little girl, was clearly acting in a bizarre and what what was to the people on this subway car such a frightening manner that the overwhelming emotion was gratitude to Daniel Penny. I mean, the people that were there felt like, thank God somebody is doing something. But now all of a sudden it's, oh, Daniel Penny is a mean guy who killed Michael Jackson on the subway. And 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 I'm I'm just asking. I mean, is that actually going to work? Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. We were just talking off the air about Tulsi Gabbard taking the place of Tucker Carlson. And, Don, you said that she's pretty blunt, pretty caustic. So I guess in a way that would make her the perfect replacement for Tucker Carlson. But then eventually the same thing would happen to her. Hmm. I mean, because what Tucker Carlson came out today and said was, if you do what I did, mm-hmm. then eventually you'll, you'll have to go. 
So you think they'll tone her down if if that was? No, I don't think they. Happen. I don't think. I don't think you could tone her down. Mm-hmm. But I'm pretty sure whoever gets that gig will be milder, to put it bluntly. That way. Yeah, <laughs> to put it bluntly. Yeah. <laughs> I um. I had to accept many, many years ago just doing this job, which is not the same. I'm not saying it is, but um, it, it's kind of weird to me. I mean, I had a dad that worked in the same company for 38 years, and it was an office job, and he just, you know, put on a white shirt and tie every day and did what, what he was supposed to do and supported his family, which is very honorable. And uh, it was really hard the first time I got fired from a radio station because in my family you didn't get fired unless you were a, an F-up, you know. And I hadn't done anything wrong. And they, they really couldn't believe that I'd gotten fired. And I had to explain to them, it just, it happens a lot in radio. They fired disc jockeys and that's what I was. And, and then when I got into talk radio, I had to really just wrap my mind around the idea that that's probably how it will end. You know, someday you will, not because you were late or you overslept or you, you know, didn't, didn't fulfill some responsibility you're just going to get canned someday because they don't like you or you offend the wrong person or whatever it is that's that's sort of how these gigs end i'm not saying it's going to happen i hope it isn't but um you know that's just kind of where it where it goes yeah. i feel i and feel that's like the beauty of the twitter deal is he doesn't work for anybody you know he'll just he'll just be a content provider i feel like in the climate that we're in right now we're just like one word from losing our mm. job Mm-hmm. Well, that's why I'm careful with you because you record all my words. So. <laughs> so when they're ready, when they're ready to cut me loose, the guy they're going to talk to is Don Cooper. They're going to be like, "Now, could you play back uh, right around six forty on Tuesday night?" And he'll be like, "Sure, I've got that right here." What do you think click, I click, do? Click. That's what I do. I at, know. The, at the end of the show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Goes back over it again. He's the poor. Don's the only poor person that has to hear this show twice. Imagine that. Wow. Nobody has to do that except Don Cooper. All right, let's go to the Jack Chat line and let's see what's on there. That number is 210-599-5550. Yes, Laura San Antonio. Um, I'm just responding to your question about why um, the mayor uh, won. And I I think that those of us who voted against Prop A um, really didn't know uh, the party wasn't indicated on the ballot, so I didn't know who was Republican, um, who was Democrat. However, I did try to research. Um, there just wasn't a lot of information. I Googled polling to see who the front runner was against uh, the mayor. And so I think that those of us who opposed Prop A, our vote was just kind of spread out between several different people. Mm. And um, that's probably why the mayor won because we did not uh, you know th- there wasn't that effort to, to let us know who to vote for other than mayor nuremberg uh like there was for voting against prop a thanks a lot bye. i think her name was laura that's a really interesting point so first of all we don't have partisan elections in the city elections except that we do because you kind of know who the republicans are and the democrats are there's like two republicans and 78 Democrats. Um, but, but I have wondered, and people have asked the question, I remember hearing, hearing it come up on other talk shows years and years ago, would there be more voter participation in San Antonio elections if they were partisan? Because, and this is sad but true, then people would 
feel like, oh, well, this is, this is an election I'm familiar with and I know my brand and I'll look for my brand and I'll look for, you know, I, I know how to do that, but I don't know how to do this because there's no labels. So she's making that point, not necessarily, I'm not saying this is a criticism. That may be, that may be a, a, a problem. Then I also like what she said about the, the anti prop A vote was spread out. I wonder what would have happened if there had been like a prop A, an anti prop A slate of candidates. Like if the anti prop A organizers who were very smart, well organized, they ran a great campaign, the, the stuff they put out was, was really, uh, well done, I thought, and, and poignant and convincing. And they had a lot of money. I wonder if there had been like a ticket. Like, hey, if you're really against Prop A, your person in District 1 is this, your person in District 3 is this, your person in District 7 is this. And, and maybe that would have directed the people the way that Laura's talking about. So let's see what else is on the Jack Chat. This is Julie from San Antonio. I lock my home so that I can control who enters. Just because someone knocks on my door doesn't mean I have to let them in. We have gates to our country. We may not have wall, but we have gates. So just because these people are knocking at our gate, we do not have to let them in. Why are we? I don't understand. They have no rights. They have no say over who comes in or not. So, yes, Biden's an idiot. We got that. But we have rules in place. Why in the world... Are we letting in all these thousands and thousands of people who may want to do us harm? I don't understand. Please, with your intelligence, explain it to us. Oh, thanks a lot, Julie. <laughs> I, 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 can't, um, I can't explain the reasoning of people that I think are unreasonable. I have laid out that Unchecked immigration is going to lead to chaos, but chaos is useful to people that want to tear things down and uh, upset things. So, it, it, the only uh, this is a very short, crude answer that we could delve into more tomorrow. But the short answer, I think, to Julie would be: we are going to let, and we are letting, a lot of illegal immigrants into the country. Not, not caring if they're hardworking people that will contribute to the economy or future terrorists or what they are. Not caring because what we care about, those that are letting it happen, is the chaos unleashed by those numbers. Uh, you, you are looking for chaos that can be exploited. You are looking for, uh, the knocking down and destruction of people's expectations and norms. You are looking ultimately to make a lot more people a lot more dependent on government. And you're, you're looking to scare people into going along with what you want them to do. You can't, you can't sell it to them. You can't convince them of it, but maybe you can scare them into it. And I know that's not a well fleshed out answer, but that, that, that's sort of where my head is at on it anyway. One more on the Jack chat. Let's take a listen. This is Jack San Antonio. I think the Navy has gone the way of Budweiser. They, they followed a really good example. Thanks. 
Oh, that uh, guy that made the drag video, yeah. Mm. I um, the only difference between the 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 Bud Light people and the Navy, though, you got to admit, is there are other light beers. There's only one Navy on the JR poll. Will you miss Grady's Barbecue? Fifty fifty. Split right down the middle. Cold. All right. New JR poll tomorrow. We get started at four. You can find the JR poll anytime at KTSA.com. The ladies of the view were talking about the subway incident with Jordan Neely and Daniel Penny. Take a listen to this, cut number eight. I don't understand why people go for the for the. It's like police sometimes when they shoot somebody. It's like can't you shoot them in the leg? Why do you have to shoot well, them that's in the a head? False. Actually, having dated a homicide detective, he used to tell me when he hears that on TV, his eyes roll because you have to shoot when you're trained with a weapon for the mass of the body. So to shoot a leg or a wrist happens in a James Bond film, but in real life, that's actually not something that why? they can do. Why? Because it's hard enough to hit a target. So when you're shot, you you target practice on a mass, which is the main part of your body your torso. So if it's hard to hit a target, why do these gun toters want us to constantly have guns when we're not trained to even shoot as well as a police officer? But it's another I, subject, I obviously. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, you can just, you can almost picture like smoke coming out of their ears. It's just too much. By the way, I don't think the right answer is um, just because the the mass is bigger or the torso is bigger than the arm or leg, although that's true. The other reason is that if you're stopping someone, um, yeah, in the movies you can, you know, shoot their pinky off or, you know, shoot them in the shin and they'll. But you know, this isn't this isn't Mannix, okay. If you're using deadly force, you need to stop the person. And this, this notion that, so, so the whole discussion about shooting somebody in the leg versus the chest or the mass doesn't even apply because this wasn't a gun issue, but it goes to show where their minds go, right? Everything they don't like comes back to what Joy calls the gun toters. <laughs> Hell is a gun toter. Um, as, as but so- then I also like the fact that she says, well, how are we supposed to do that when we're not trained as well as the police? What is she what is she talking about? I mean, the thing about the, the look, the thing they don't like about the Jordan Neely story, in my opinion, yeah, I think they're trying to make it about race, but the the thing they really don't like and and the reason their their mind goes to guns, even though there's no gun involved in the Jordan Neely story, no one involved in that story has a gun. But the reason their mind goes there is because what really drives the left to distraction is citizen self-sufficiency. I'm not saying they don't want to grab the guns. They do. I'm not demoting that as a goal. But overarching a lot of the stuff we talk about, whether it's your right to defend yourself with a gun or with other means, whether it's school choice, numerous things. Your right to do your business and run your business the way you see fit, to accept or not accept the business of another person. I don't want to bake that cake. 
You know, all of this comes back to citizen self-sufficiency, and the left does not believe in it. I mean, the more you're able to do things for yourself, the less you need the government, which means the less you need them. And the less they can screw around with what you do and how you do it and engineer the society. And then, you know, if people are self-sufficient, if they're driving their own cars and they're going where they want to go and they want to go, you know, the, the vision of government that the left has cannot be implemented. But conversely, if we start implanting the idea that anytime people act on their own, act independent, make their own mind up, do things their own way, follow their own heart or values, why then that's dangerous. If we can, if we can convince enough people of that, those are rebels, those are troublemakers, we can't have that. Look what happens. Michael Jackson gets strangled on the subway. I'm not trying to make light of the man's death, but they're making him into Michael Jackson, which is absurd. Okay. The more they can do that, the more they get the normal people, the quiet, go along, not very political people to go, yeah, I guess they're right. I, I guess we don't want to live in a world where people are taking matters into their own hands. When in fact, really we do. You know, really we do. We actually need much more of that. I'm not saying I want people to die. But the truth of our, if you look at what's going on in our world right now, we need Daniel Penny a lot more than we have Daniel Penny. We'll talk about this more tomorrow. Our show starts live at 4 or find us anytime as an on-demand podcast. You can get the Jack Riccardi Show on the on-demand menu at ktsa.com or look for the Jack Riccardi Show anywhere you like to get your other favorite podcasts. But we'll see you back here live tomorrow at 4.